Welcome to episode four of the Slum Books Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm James Cohn. This is the podcast uh, version of the movie review website Swamp Flicks. We're coming to you from New Orleans, Louisiana. And what are we talking about today, James? Uh, we are going to be talking about a Ken Russell film called The Devils. And what else are we going to be talking about, Brandon? Uh, we're going to look th- back at all ten actors who have played uh, Batman on the silver screen in the past 70 years. Um, and all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. And now it's time for our Movie of the Minute discussion. Uh, This is where James and I go back and forth introducing movies to each other that we've never seen before. Uh, And James made me watch the Ken Russell uh, religious satire, uh, The Devils from 1971. Uh, Do you think satire is a a fair word for this? Yeah, I think that Ken Russell is definitely provoking his audience. I do think you could see it as as a satire. I think that's fair. But um, I guess to give a little background into this movie, I mean, the first thing I'll I'll say why I made you watch it is I do think it's a masterpiece. I do think it's a very important film, and I think everyone should see it. Um, Now, as far as the background behind it, it was highly controversial when it came out. Warner Brothers still refuses to release an unedited director's cut um, for fear of public outcry or who knows what at this point. But um, so it's just gone through a lot of editing and releases, re-releases, and you still can't really get your hands on an unedited version. Um, there's there's a cut that came out in um, Britain from BFI a couple of years ago that's uh, probably the closest to what's been released. But in right. America, no one's even brought it past the VHS stage. Like it's never reached DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, in any legal means here. Um, and that's kind of a problem with Ken Russell's catalog at large. Uh, he has the worst distribution problems, mm-hmm. but if anything's going to exemplify how bad that is, uh, The Devils is just a really underserved work from him. And uh, I do think it's it's very kind of indicative of his whole filmography uh, and probably takes that that provoking style to its absolute limits. Yeah, um, he must not have been surprised that people were so uh against distributing this movie. Like he went totally for broke in just the heretical uh blasphemous depictions of just sexual depravity within the Catholic Church here. I mean, and I do think depending on your religious leanings, you could definitely see this film as being blasphemous cuz it it certainly is. And I guess, you know, we're talking about all the controversy around it so we start getting into like the actual plot so the whole story kind of centers around this catholic priest in the 17th century uh named grandier who because of a myriad of political reasons is attempted to be ousted from power uh for basically possessing uh, a group of nuns. Um, with so, what I gather was like uh, this town is very much in love with this guy uh, to the point where they find him like sexually irresistible. Uh, and one of the first scenes is he's uh, sort of parading through the town, and everyone's like, "That's that's a guy worth going to hell for." Uh, and this one nun, played by Vanessa Redgrave, uh, reports that she's been possessed by this guy in a demonic way. 
uh, which is a pretty hefty accusation, uh, basically saying that he's brought witchcraft to the people, and that's mm-hmm. why they're so uh, in love with him. Um, but really, she's just possessed by her sexual desire for him. Yeah, and I mean, she... It, it's a great performance by her, too, because she has this hunchback. Her neck is all crooked. She just, like, looks like she has, like, scoliosis, and she's all deformed. And there's a few different kind of dream sequences of her, uh, you know, un, undeformed in her, like, kind of idealized version of herself and Jesus has turned into this priest Grandier and they make love and it's just obvious that you know how nuns kind of have to give themselves up to Christ uh, she's given up herself to Grandier and that that really that sexual repression is kind of what drives the entire uh, you know political plan to get him out of power. Yeah, Russell's kind of uh, putting forth this idea that um, people are so possessed by their desires and the repression of trying to keep that down for religious reasons is leading this whole small town into this sort of mania where they're uh, they're, they're driven to a point of madness. And the, the film's most recognizable as a distinct work in those moments where the madness reaches this like sort of operatic crescendo where uh, the whole town is just kind of going insane in this like sexual uh, just... Yeah, and to that point, um, the soundtrack to uh, the whole score to the film is very eerie and bizarre. It's kind of kind of avant-garde and uh, and there's a few scenes in particular where like you said, it just reaches this fever pitch uh one that stands out to me is when someone's being burned at the stake and they're surrounded by the flames and you hear this music bizarre music swell up and it does like make you feel very claustrophobic and also to your point like i do think that that idea of sexual repression and repressing your desires leading to mania is sort of the central theme of the entire film like uh, you know beyond all the violent stuff and the the really sexual blasphemous stuff like that's the heart of the film is like humans just want to love and they want to fulfill their desires and any institution or anything that tries to uh inhibit that is going to lead to problems yeah um they make a big deal at the beginning about this being uh, based on true events, uh, that maybe there was this small town outside the reach of the Cardinal and the King, um, uh, and, the, and basically France was trying to like break down all these small institutions that were operating on their own. Uh, but I don't think Russell's all that interested in depicting some sort of historical thing here. It's more of like this grand idea that uh, that going against your own sexual inner desires for a religious purpose leads to uh, these sort of um, maniacal uh, outbursts. And uh, it's kind of crazy how this town has this giant outburst together. Uh, And people Mm -hmm. are using that sort of crisis as a way to gain power. And there's several different... um, There's several different... Uh, organizations that are trying to gain power here. There's these 
uh, well, there's the king and the and the church, and then there's also uh, Grandier himself is uh, using his like sexual desirability uh, as an abuse of power over these like young girls who mm-hmm. have no outlet for their uh, for their sensuality, and then there's also this um, sort of experimental medicine wing of the church that is really into exorcisms and like uh, de- demonic possession and using all these like hacky uh, yeah. And that's sort of what drives the, these group of nuns to become possessed, really, in the first place, is these kind of holy water enemas and just really awful... Alligators and leeches and just Yeah, like... there's a great scene with, like, a fake crocodile that's <laughs> amazing. But, but yeah, it's um, all this kind of... It's this storm of the political and the social and the you know the personal and religious and the film really does a great job of bringing all those components together in a way that you know it really does work um and the first thing you probably notice when you watch it is just how depraved the sexuality gets uh, you have these like gigantic orgies where just like symbols of the church are being abused sexually by these nuns who've been convinced that they're possessed of a demon that doesn't even exist mm-hmm. um but when you look a little closer, there's this sort of element of craft to it that um, sort of gets outshined by the controversy. Like, if you just look at the town and the, the set uh, design, it's this really beautiful, like, stage play construction. Yeah, with the white tiles and, yeah, the look of the film is beautiful. And, like, the costumes and everything are are really great. Um, you know, something I, I just kind of realized you're talking about uh, how the public outcry about the film sort of proves the film's point. These people have, like Roger Ebert, for instance, who hated the movie um, because he was raised Catholic, I presume. Uh, But basically, like, people's devotion to these institutions kind of blinds the bigger picture. So I think people that watch this movie... for the first time, just see the blasphemy and the sex and the violence. And because they're so outraged by that, they don't see the human message that's actually at the heart of the film. And uh, I, you mentioned this when we covered um, Crimes of Passion for the website last year, but you called uh, Russell a prankster provocateur. Yeah. And this is definitely a provocation. Like, he's rattling cages on purpose. Um, but if you held this film up to, like say, uh, Solo, mm-hmm. as a comparison point, that movie is depraved in a kind of paper-thin way. Yeah. Uh, and, and depravity is all it really has. There is a subtle uh, message about Italian fascism right. in there, but it's so buried beneath all the shit, Yeah, literally, in that film. That one feels more like an exploitation piece, whereas The Devil's stands as like a work of art. Uh, it looks like a painting. Uh, every frame is sort of like uh, just and that and that's composed. really what I what I don't understand is I've seen depraved uh, movies that mock religion since then, and none of them seem to have gotten the vitriol that like this film has, uh, which again is a shame because it's a beautiful like you're saying all the shots that Russell goes with are beautifully composed and like. It's just a great movie, and it seems, at least now in the past few years, it's kind of 
you know it's being renowned as like a classic but we again we still don't have a full version to see which is a shame yeah when um it came out like you said uh you know ebert hated this film a lot of critics uh hated it as, as just sort of like a work of depravity without any sort of sense of purpose and basically just skewered russell for uh just sort of living out some sort of like demented sexual fantasy or something um i mean and i think in a way he's sort of is i do think if you've seen enough of his films there's definitely a sexual a dark sexual element to most of them um but also like being uh raised catholic and going to a catholic high school like i understand kind of that that was necessary for the film to be that depraved because you know catholics are taught a certain kind of like shame guilt and guilt and like self-hatred and i really think you needed it to be over the top for a lot of those themes to come through if it was just a straightforward historical period piece i wouldn't have found it nearly as interesting and i think critical consensus for the movie is shifting that direction i know one of your favorite writers uh mark Mark mode yeah he's he's sort of championed this movie recently and uh really going out of his way to uh bring back parts of it that have been left out in all these like non-director's cuts uh the move the version of the movie we just watched was like heavily edited um Mm -hmm. i know there's a scene um with an orgy uh that is included in the film, but has been severely cut. There's another scene at the end where Vanessa Redgrave's nun is tossed uh, a charred femur bone which that she apparently, apparently masturbates, masturbates with. with, which would have added, you know, so much to that scene. Yeah, in the scene, she's sort of shocked to receive the the femur bone, um, but if she has sexual urges still with it, that means she's still possessed by Grandier. Um, which Just possessed by human sexual desire, which you can never fully yeah. repress, and that completely changes the whole trajectory of the movie. Um, so yeah, it is. A, it's just a huge shame that there's no official, like, fully realized vision of this that you can legally watch uh, in yeah. 2016. It's a shame. It's it's great, and it it does uh, watching it again recently. It would still be controversial if it came out today. Like it's always going to be controversial, but it's a, you know, a very important work of art and everything in it from Oliver Reed, uh, and Vanessa Redgrave and the sets and the sound, uh, and just the overall story and message. I, I loved it. It's yeah. definitely one of my favorites. And th- there's an interesting, uh, just idea about how power is abused and how people can be convinced of things uh, that aren't truly happening. Uh, there's the uh, sort of radical wing of the church convincing all these nuns that the reason they're having these uh, sexual desires is because they've been possessed by demons. Um, and it's got this uh, sort of placebo effect where once they're told that, they all go absolutely insane. Um, yeah, and there's a great scene too where the king there's this um like exorcist guy brought in to get the demons out of the nuns and the king shows up and bestows him with the apparently the blood of christ this holy relic that will cure them 
And when he brings out the relic, all the nuns act like they've been cured. And then the king reveals like, oh, the box was empty, <laughs> you know. And the, it kind of is just saying that like they're just doing what they want, what you want them to do, basically. Like right. you're brainwashing them. And it also goes to like the politics of the time in showing that like the king knew that all of this was BS and he didn't care. Yeah. It, he just let it happen. Um, and there's some kind of like sexual politics there as well because the king is um, a gay man in this depiction. Uh, right. And he has no interest in women. Uh, to he's kind of, he's repulsed by women actually. I remember in that same scene he tells his like page boy about how awful like you know a woman's body is and how disgusting yeah so and i think russell is def i don't know if he's answering the questions he's bringing up <laughs> in any way but he's definitely got a lot more to say here than just um look at all these depraved things i can put to film uh it's not just a it's not just a simple provocation there's definitely some sort of grappling with uh sexual politics and uh religious power uh well and grandier is like he admits that you know he's definitely a flawed protagonist but he admits his faults yeah they ask him at the end to confess and basically what they're asking for him to say is that he uh possessed all these women and caused them to to lose their minds and their piety but uh really he when he confesses his true sins he says i'm a man i loved and I and I enjoyed power, um, which is true. That that is yeah. Those were his actual his faults. Yeah, I do think Grandier is um, a very sympathetic character in this. Even though he he sleeps around, he does abuse his power as a priest. The whole movie, he has a strong moral center, and he is looking out for the town and the people, whether they be Protestants or Catholics. Um, and even to the very end, you know, they try to get a confession out of him before he's burned at the stake and he just refuses to do it, even though he's being tortured, all these awful things happening to him. And I really, really like that main, main character in this. And the second that he is knocked out of power, the town begins to crumble. Like, yeah. Uh, so you see, he was like the, really the only thing standing in the way of, the town's annihilation and once he's out of the way there's nothing stopping it. and it, it's almost like a choice between who is abusing the people uh he's he's taking advantage of these young women who are in love with him but uh his moral center is still less corrupt than these larger organizations that are uh that are trying to rule them from like an outside uh perspective yeah and i think that's a big kind of political message of the film is you know, the king wants to own all of France, basically. He wants to have power over everything. And you have Grandier, who kind of represents more local government and, like, local organizing. Um, and so he's got his little town of people that he watches out for that's in, enclosed in these walls. But, you know, they're well taken care of. And that's indirect, you know conflict with what the king wants and i think it is making a message of like maybe smaller government that we should be very suspicious of these large institutions whether it be you know our country or religion whatever it may be and the 
the truth to like I guess a peaceful society and for happiness is like to fulfill the like human spirit basically yeah. um, did, so did, did you have any final thoughts on the film um, I guess kind of the headline version of what this movie is is oh this is a work of just depraved sexuality and just complete disregard uh, for decency and just religious blasphemy but you know if you look if you look just a little closer past that um, sort of aggressive exterior uh, it really is like a finely crafted work of art and it is really just depressing how poorly represented Ken Russell is on like the home video market at this point in time um, at some point I believe within our lifetimes he'll sort of get the resurgence he deserves and maybe those wheels are already in motion but uh, any any version you can see of the devils is worth checking out whether or not it is his like full cut yeah I I, I think you pretty much said it and I'll just to go off your last point is that yeah if once you get past the depraved exterior there really is like a lot of soul and heart in this movie um so definitely check it out um and again hopefully we get a real full director's cut at some point in the future if that ever makes like a small indie circuit like theater run uh there's no reason why you shouldn't go <laughs> yeah and this deserves to be seen on the big screen because it is a large-scale production uh that is sort of a visual feast even when it's um even when it's hard to look at because what it's depicting is grotesque it's still uh it's still just amazing what he achieved uh with the camera lens yeah i would agree with that 100 percent. check it out and now it's time for our Batman discussion. Uh, as everyone probably knows by now, Batman vs. Superman's like probably the biggest movie out at the uh, box office. Um, and we decided that uh, instead of just sort of harping more uh, negativity on the movie, which it's received plenty of from other critics, uh, we're just going to look back at all the different versions of Batman that have uh, hit the, the screen um, since the 40s. Uh, and for this conversation, uh, my friend and illustrator uh john marquez is here hello <laughs> uh john's got more of an insight into um comic book history than james and i do for sure um mm. <laughs> or at least more about batman comics than we do um hopefully hopefully uh, so uh instead of like kind of ranking the batmans over time we're just going to kind of go through them chronologically just to take a look at um the different uh, interpretations of the character that have been brought to the movies um, and th I guess this all started back in 1943. Uh, there was a serial reel um, simply titled Batman. Um, and serials used to play before films, sort of these like little 20 minute episodes that you would sort of watch play out over time if you went to the movie theater every week. Um, and in 43, the first actor that played Batman was uh, this guy, Lewis Wilson. Um, did y'all watch any of the serials? I, so I did not watch any of the serials. Uh, I started with the Adam West. I, oh, okay. So, yeah. Well, y'all didn't really miss much. Like, uh, Lewis Wilson's Batman in the first one is just not even really an interpretation of the character at all. He just plays this sort of, like, leading man action hero guy. Like, he's just this tall, handsome dude um, who looks like a movie star but has no like bat no like Bruce Wayne mannerisms in any way. He's not like a dark brooding character. He's just this like 
guy who happens to have a secret identity. He goes out and saves the day, basically. Right, yeah, he puts on the bat suit, and it looks kind of cheesy, because, like, uh, the cowl, like, the hood that he wears, like, um, isn't really attached to his body very well. <laughs> so, like, he'll be fighting these villains in this, like, sort of, uh, fisticuffs kind of way, yeah. and, uh, the cowl will come off or, like, cover his eyes. Jesus. Uh, it looks like, um, kind of like a housemaid, uh, Halloween costume, like, uh, a mother would have made their, their son in the 40s, you know? Um, and also, too, just what that reminds me of as far as you said the leading man playing Batman but not having any of the brooding qualities. Like, that was kind of my problem with some of the later actors who we'll yeah. get to eventually, but I think the worst Batman usually fall into that. Yeah, Batman I think. Batman performances fall into that category. I guess my, my thing is that, like, sometimes people go too hard one way or the other. Like, they'll either go too brooding or too campy. Right. And, like, the better ones kind of do a little bit of both. Uh, in the serial version with Lewis Wilson in 43, there's just no... There's really nothing brought to the table. Like, it's just any other superhero right. character. Um, and then in 49, there was another serial uh, called Batman and Robin. Um, and starring as Batman in that movie was Robert Lowry. Uh, and he is kind of a similar vibe but uh gets a little darker like uh he's got he's got more of like an intense intensity to him where he's not just kind of like mugging for the camera and looking handsome like he looks like he might um have gone through some like it might be the kind of kid that was raised after watching his parents get murdered you know like he has that kind of like darkness in his eyes uh so it's a better one it's slightly better but not that much i mean uh these serials are were probably cranked out very quickly and cheaply because uh, they had to make so many of them. I think the first one's something like three and a half hours if you watch them all in a row, which I do not recommend because it's so boring. Uh, um, but, you know, it's like the standard, like, tune in next time, kids, and see if Batman can get out of this uh, predicament. But is the tone as campy as the 60s one? No, it's total uh, kind of like, um, you know, radio serials, how they used to have, like, Buck Rogers on the radio, and, like, you'd hear it his adventures every week. Right. Uh, the visual elements really is only there so you can see him punch bad guys. There's really not that much going on besides like pretty standard dialogue and then he kind of swoops in to save the day. Um, and to that point, all the villains in this movie are all like organized gangsters and uh, just kind of regular criminal people and you, you don't get to see like the Joker and the Penguin and Catwoman and all these people. So it's kind of kind of not really worth your attention unless you have some kind of insane completists uh, mm. desire to see every Batman brought to life. Um, so I guess the biggest uh, leap in bringing uh, Batman to the screen was in 1966. Adam West starred as Batman in Batman the Movie. And this is the uh, the campiest mm. version of Batman to date. I think you could... I don't think there's any argument against that. I... Well... I might disagree a little bit in that the Joel Schumacher, the Batman and Robin... They definitely approach that. They get almost to the level of campiness, but right. they're not really as fun. It's more like commercial than the Adam West. And I think the Joel Schumacher ones and the Adam West one, uh, they're aiming for children as an audience. Like They want to get to little kids. And uh, I guess at this point in the 60s, Batman was seen as, seen as like a, a property little kids would be interested in. And the way they rope adults into wanting to watch it is by making them fun instead of like, uh, you know, a regular action movie. It's it's basically like a live action cartoon. Um, I know, John, this isn't like your favorite Batman that's been brought no. to the screen at all. 
No. Uh, I mean, I watched... I vaguely remember it as a kid, and it was okay. I don't know. I can't really discuss much about it. It was like... <laughs> Pow! Bam! Basically, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think for that time, it was like the same time as the comic books were coming out. They were doing the same thing as the comic books. And then after that movie... The comic book creator, I think, like Neil Adams, like transferred. Like we're gonna get more serious, so we're gonna go into a serious tone after a that kind of Batman mm-hmm. camp. Right, and that so. that sort of seems like what the films have done too. They cycle through like being really campy and fun, and then they're like, okay, we kind of took this as far as we can. Now we need to go in a more serious direction. That kind yeah. of runs its course, and then it comes back around. It's always like this: the changing of the times, also like. Well, yeah, that yeah. too. I yeah. like I like the Adam West interpretation. I think for what it is, he's very funny in the role. There's a great physical gag in this movie where he has this gigantic bomb that he's trying yeah, to get rid of. That's yeah. always like the thing that's showing time. I mean, it didn't that come in like in the '60s, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't that like the era of like fun, basically? Yeah. So. I mean, well, everyone was high. I yeah. assume. <laughs> <laughs> everyone who was in this production, especially like the villains, like. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they're awesome, but they they're they're definitely like having fun and just, yeah. it's got a laid, like kind of laid back attitude. But then if you jump forward to like the Michael Keaton Tim Burton Batman, you're in the like late '80s. Yeah, just kind of a more turbulent time, I guess. And not that there wasn't stuff going on in the '60s, but oh, yeah, the time it was... itself was a little more dark, I guess. Style. Yeah, and then you go through to the '90s, and you have all these commercial. Uh, films with all these toy tie-ins and stuff and now it's come back around kind I, of I think the 60s thing might have been kind of a dead end even though I really enjoy it but yeah like there's a huge gap between Adam West and Michael Keaton and it might just be like because it's so goofy and over the top it's not the kind of thing that you can keep returning to over and over again like it was good yeah. for a television show but I can't imagine there being like four Adam West Batman movies that go to the theater you know right because you need to have some depth right. in order to have multiple movies and I mean, it doesn't really have that. It is fun, though. Okay, uh, and I guess since we're um, already talking about it, we should skip to uh, Michael Keaton, uh, who played Batman from 89 to 92 in Tim Burton's Batman and Batman Returns. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but this is my favorite Batman on the list by far. Um, he's my second favorite. Second favorite? Yeah, I, I do like Christian Bale. Yeah. Um, but they are very close. Uh, but I'm with you. I really like Michael Keaton. As Batman. I think... Uh, probably the second best for me as well. Second best? Yeah, I might shock you with my first. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, this is what I this is why I will say he's my favorite. We were talking about that balance earlier between camp and seriousness. Mm-hmm. And I think Michael Keaton nails that. Like, oh, yeah, uh, totally. Especially as Bruce Wayne, he seems like such a freaking weirdo. Like the, well, he's humorous, I feel. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? It's humorous, mm-hmm. but he's also like... There's scenes in Batman Returns where he's just staring into a fire alone in his empty mansion. And you're like, this guy's just brooding by himself. <laughs> Such a, and uh, he does these just weird things with his eyes where they flutter back and forth. And it seems kind of like an eccentric weirdo that is a believable aspect to Batman for me. And uh, it, it would make sense that he has sort of a campy sense of humor because Batman as like a, a superhero is kind of a theatrical thing like he uses smoke and distractions and all these gadgets like uh it needs a little bit of humor and seriousness to work and i think he does a really good job of that balance totally i agree with that well and also 
we I know we're talking about the actors, but I don't think you can leave out like the directors too. The fact that Tim Burton directed both those movies has a lot to do with its tone. Right. Like I think he nailed it as well. Uh, I think he nailed the second one more so because of like the studio stuff, I guess. Right. So there's a lot of studio interference with the first movie. I think so. Yeah. And then they kind of like took their hands off. Yeah. I mean, I watched it with my friend and she was saying like how the second one is more of a Tim Burton film and you can still like you, you feel it more. So as I could say, and and he is one of those directors, like, you know, when you're watching Mm -hmm. a Tim Burton, I get, yeah, I could see that the second one definitely feels much more like a Tim Burton. And they let the villains run wild in the second one, which is always more fun. (laughs) Yeah. That's one, one thing too, is like, I think what there's three villains in the second one and they all have their own kind of separate plots Mm -hmm. going on. And I, yeah, I really like that too. The focus on on the villains as well. I wish we could talk about the villains because it was funny with the penguin <laughs> and all the penguins. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, at yeah. the end of the second movie. Well, yeah. what's funny about Danny DeVito in the second one was apparently he was like nominated for like best supporting actor. Whoa! But he was also nominated for worst supporting actor for a Razzie. <laughs> so that just shows you like his kind of over the top. I mean, that performance. goes to the camp thing, right? Like, yeah, totally. Like, yeah. Try and find that balance. The Razzies do that too, where they like kind of attack things that are already silly and self-deprecating. Like it's kind of like pointless, right? It's like easy targets, I guess. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, also, you know, the second one was written by uh, Daniel Waters, uh, who did Heather's. Um, so I was, that's like kind of a perfect storm for my sensibilities. Like mm-hmm. you got these over-the-top villains. Uh, Catwoman, probably the best version of Catwoman that's ever come to screen, I would say. Michelle um, Pfeiffer, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer's definitely. so good in that movie. Awesome suit as well. Uh, <laughs> and Michael Keaton's just fun to watch, even as Bruce Wayne. Like I feel like yeah. some Batman actors might do Batman better or Bruce Wayne better. Exactly. I feel like he milled both. Yeah. And he got them right both. I don't know. The writers like kind of screwed up too. But he nailed them both for what he was given. Like he can be humorous, he can be brooding, like you said, and just like he had the transition of being both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he could be awesome. And what was, what was interesting about that point in his career too was I think before that film he had done mostly comedies. Yeah. So he was known as a comedic actor. So there was a lot of skepticism. Like is Keaton actually gonna be able to pull off being Batman? I mean, I think he knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and then I guess those movies were very popular. <laughs> uh, There's a lot of money made off of those, uh, which kind of gave birth to uh, the animated series that came after. It's called Batman: The Animated Series. Um, it did very well. It's a fantastic neo noir uh, version of Batman, um, and that did so well that there was a release that went to the theaters called Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, um, and the guy who voiced Batman in that movie was Kevin Conroy who's probably spent the most time yeah. playing Batman out of anybody on this list because he's done so many cartoon shows and video right. games as Batman. As far as mm-hmm. voice, like, he's by far the best. Right. I, I think he knows it as well with, like, the Bruce Wayne and the Batman aspect. I mean, he was talking about it on Kevin Smith's podcast as well, just, like, how he has a Bruce Wayne interpretation that, like, is solidified. Mm-hmm. Like, you know it's Bruce Wayne, and then... He would be Batman, and you know it's like Batman. So he has this perfect distinction between the two. You know? Yeah, and that's another point too. Is like some of the worst performances of Batman 
they haven't drawn that distinction. Like their voice doesn't really change. There's no like fear basically giving off to yeah. It's just like, well, I don't I don't want to jump ahead, but the Clooney in Batman (laughs) and Robin he. His voice is the exact same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether he's Bruce Wayne or... So, I think that's a big part of it. And Conroy definitely is, like, very good at that. I think Conroy has this kind of, like... I don't want to say smug, but he has kind of, like, a humorous tone um, when he's being Bruce Wayne. Which, Bruce Wayne is a cover, right? So, he's supposed to, like, give yeah. off this uh, disguise that he's, like, just this billionaire, billionaire playboy who, like, has no seriousness to him. And that's to throw people off his trail that he's not Batman. And when he plays Batman, it gets super serious and his voice uh, gets more engaging in that way. And I, I really think that uh, he's... That's... If I had to uh, rank them, uh, I just said Michael Keaton was my favorite. Kevin Conroy is a very close second just because he does such a great job of differentiating those two things. And watching him play Bruce Wayne is so fun just because it kind of pains him to be seen as this like frivolous dude when uh in the back of his mind uh he's like saving the city and you can hear that kind of like frustration in his voice sometimes especially for like a kid's show too i mean it's like damn yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i know um a lot of people find a lot of people rank him very high on the list and they rank mark hamill as the uh, joker very high oh he's phenomenal yeah god is frightening um and yeah for a kid's show the art direction um, I, I think they got that look by drawing on black paper. So the show's got this very dark look mm-hmm. to it. And it starts off kind of light, but once you get into later storylines, it's a very brutal, violent show. And it kind of grew up with its audience because it was around for a good while. Yeah. I barely remember it, but I remember like watching it all the time. I don't know. It was always awesome to see it. I think this is the one I grew up with the most... Um, just because it was on television, I had like easy access to it. Yeah. So it's it's the one that's like most nostalgic for me. I feel like that could be like the easiest everyone's number one Batman if like everybody analyzed it. Yeah. He could be the best one. It could. Yeah. No matter what. Did you get to see it in '93 when it played in the theaters? I always wanted to, never did see it, but I always saw it at the video store. And I was like, "Mom, I want to rent this. You can't <laughs> rent this, but I want to rent this." Like every time we went to the video store, I'm like I want to rent <laughs> no. this. Like no, we can't. We're gonna get movies I want to watch. Well, I knew that there were uh, movie versions of the animated series, but I didn't know that one of them actually went to the theaters, yeah. which is awesome to me. And I just saw this for the first time. Are there any other ones that we should check out? Because uh, I know there's a, a bunch of them. <laughs> uh, nothing that released um, theatrically. I don't know about this one, but there's like a sequel to it, like the Sub-Zero one with starring Mr. Freeze. I don't awesome. know if that was theatrical, but that was like the same time as the animated series. And they got a whole ton of lists of like movies that have been released afterwards like not theatrically i believe but like straight to dvd or on Mm -hmm. demand or whatever and they're on netflix there's a bunch of those that you could check out right now i can't mention them because like that would just go into a whole nother space (laughs) yeah the mr freeze one sounds interesting just because i like that interpretation of that character it's a very dark yeah uh, it grapples with his wife's death pretty oh and uh, seriously his, his story is amazing i mean like they changed that in the new comic books to weird stuff and it's like no keep it <laughs> this way that it originally was because it's more heartbreaking more like emotionally attached to that kind of story cool so the opposite of Schwarzenegger right? yeah well, well no, no, no. <laughs> no it's the same story but like in comic book formats like and in the animated series formats much better yeah right uh okay so 
the Tim Burton, um, going back to the live action stuff, uh, moved from director to producer and produced two Joel Schumacher movies. Mm. Uh, one, the first one was in 1995 and had Val Kilmer as Batman. The pretty boy. <laughs> <laughs> this is Batman Forever. Um, I'd just I, go out and say it. He's my least favorite person on this list by far. Really? Oh. Second least favorite for me. Oh, wow. Clo- Clooney. Oh, I like Clooney more. No. V- Kilmer. I mean, that goes to the camp thing if you like him more, right? Oh, yeah. I think Clooney's hilarious. Uh, Val Kilmer. Remember when we were talking about Transcendence last week? That just how Johnny Depp was so boring in that movie? No, it would. It should be like Batman meh. Yeah. That's his performance. It's like he's just kind of scenery sort of standing around. He doesn't really fit in. He's talking about George Clooney's? No, no Val Kilmer. Kilmer's. Uh, what did he bring to this role? Really nothing. And what's he was inter- quick, I think. Like, <laughs> like physically? <laughs> no, no, no. That's another thing. Like The quickest one is Ben Affleck's action. Uh, quick to speak. Quick-witted, I guess. Quick-witted. And, I mean, I don't know. he seems like an art snob. I'll give you that. Yeah. But he plays that a lot better in MacGruber as Victor Von Kampf. <laughs> like, also, he was an asshole. Also, that was another thing. Like, <laughs> he transitioned from, okay, the Bruce Wayne or Batman characters. Like, Batman, kind of an asshole, but still cool. Batman Returns, still kind of an asshole. And then Val Kilmer, Complete very much. Asshole. Yeah. What's funny about that, too, is... Reading, he was a, an asshole on set too. Yeah. Apparently, like everyone that worked on that film hated him <laughs> and has bad memories. Uh, and also, what I was reading is there was a lot for that one in particular, there was a lot of other actors kind of in the running. So it was like Daniel Day Lewis was, they were thinking about casting him, Ralph Fiennes, Johnny Depp, wow. Ethan Hawke. <laughs> like you think of all these other options Ralph that they Fiennes had. Right, that would have been fun though. And Johnny fun. Depp might have been good because he was kind of like on a winning streak uh, and, at that time. But out of all those, it seems like they picked the most like just middle of the road, uh, safe. And it, I mean, he might have been smelling a uh, a disaster coming because I don't know about y'all, but this is my least favorite Batman movie. Really? Not even Jim Carrey stands out for you? Oh, he's horrible. What? Uh, I like I, I like the Riddler in that. This one. is this is one of those Jim Carrey roles where like I feel like someone should have. Pull the rope back a little bit. It has like too long of a tether. Um, what about for Tommy Lee Jones then? He's fun. I think he's like, I like him in this movie. You like him instead of Jim Carrey? Yeah, I do. Really? I don't know why. <laughs> Jim Carrey just annoys me in this movie. Oh Jesus! But I mean, isn't he supposed to annoy you a little bit? I guess the Riddler so. is supposed to be kind of annoying. Yeah. But I think but, this Val Kilmer, the Val Kilmer Batman, is a middle ground. That's like, I can deal with him and I can't deal with him, but I'll still stick with him. Basically, yeah. I I mean, I just don't like the direct um, the direction that Joel Schumacher is bringing it into. He's trying to get it into the more campy, like kid friendly. Yeah, which happens for the next one, I believe. Yeah, the yeah, next totally. one is like way over the top in that direction. And that's I think that's uh, both of y'all are kind of saying the same thing, which is like why I don't like this movie is because it's a little compromised, um, where it's kind of like almost gloomy. It's almost campy. It doesn't really do either. Um, but like you said, they're going in that direction. And by the time George Clooney played uh, Batman in 1997 in Batman and Robin, it had gone full, like, sugary, high camp. Like, right. Back to, like, the Adam West style. Totally. Yeah. And I love that movie. I think that George Clooney Batman and Robin movie is awesome. I think it's hilarious. But there was no, like, side. It was just like, like you were saying earlier, James, just him being George Clooney. 
back. Yeah, that, oh, totally. there is no performance there. Yeah. He's just like like doing it, just doing it, and just doing it like I'm this person, I'm this person, I'm this person, I'm this and person. Apparently, too, during Batman and Robin, Joel Schumacher was up on like a crane with a megaphone and telling the actors, "Remember, this is a cartoon." Like he would reiterate that over and over, and that's kind of the tone of the whole thing. It's just like a live action cartoon. God's wish. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's campy as hell, and I can see why you would rank this that one higher. This fits my sensibilities. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's long line of ice puns are so good. In this oh, movie. there's so many. <laughs> ice to meet you. <laughs> Allow me to break the ice. Oh, God. Uh, oh Poison Ivy has some too. Oh yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. I. I think Uma Thurman can be a great actress and a terrible one. And this one, she's a terrible actress in the best way. Like, she's put to such great use here, but the work she's doing is so subpar. <laughs> uh, but just the idea of, like, uh, you're going back to George Clooney saying he's not really doing much. I think his normal, uh, like, neutral personality is perfect for Bruce Wayne. Like, he has kind of a frivolous, handsome, rich guy persona and I think it works really well for that. But uh, when it comes to Batman, you gotta put on the grovelly voice and yeah, he doesn't do he that. He does not even yeah. try. It's all just like joke delivery system. Yeah. Um so I guess it just depends on whether or not you're on board with that kind of like humorous take on the on the product. Well the thing that bothered me about it too when it came out was there were all these like tie ins with like, you know, I don't know, McDonald's and Taco Bell and toys. Oh, yeah. And like coasters, and it was like so commercialized too that this I don't is, know, that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. This is another memory I had. I mean, it goes back way to, uh, sorry to bring this up, but it goes back to like Batman Returns or Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like seeing those commercials. About, I don't know, I was watching it for this, and just like, I remember like, I remember a commercial for like Taco Bell or Burger King for this, <laughs> yeah. and, like the Batmobile. Yeah. And then I remember like for Batman Forever, there was a little thing where. The Drew Carey show, he took the Batmobile. He got the Batmobile. I don't know. It's just a sidetrack. Disney still does that stuff. Like, they just had, like, Star Wars oranges when The Force Awakens was out. Really? So I was in the grocery store, like, looking at, like, fruit with, like, Star Wars imprinted on them. Oh, my God. It's, it's, uh, things like that get way out of hand, but... they brand it? Yeah. (laughs) But but what I'm saying is, with with the, um, Batman and Robin, it seemed very intentional. Like, before they started writing the script, they set out, we're going to make a very commercial movie to where we can just sell a bunch of crap mm-hmm. to people. And that that's partly what like rubs me the wrong way about it. I do appreciate its campiness, but I think it's, it's also a, a shit movie. I think it's aged well with time. Because <laughs> uh, no, no. when you make something commercial like that, uh, at the time you're watching, like, this is a shitty product that's like shilling all these like commercial things to me. But... As time goes on, and it's been about 20 years, uh, that kind of, like, commercialism um, starts to get, like, this time capsule aspect to it, where it's a really good encapsulation of, like, what shitty pop culture was in the the mid-90s. And it it feels like a really great, like, fun look back at, like, the worst parts of, like, Hollywood excess 20 years ago. When you talk about nostalgia, like, for me, Batman Forever... The soundtrack they oh, had like you yeah. two was it like hold me kiss from, kiss from a rose was on there kiss from a rose and like I remember having that album and actually listening to it a lot so I mean yeah there's a huge nostalgia there for some of these films but yeah they made a big deal about having Prince on the uh, original um, right 
Tim Burton Batman movie. Uh, but I feel like they've really just like put the pedal to the floor when they put out Batman Forever and just try to have like every major recording artist at the time weigh in. Yeah. Um, uh, and then um, I guess after Batman and Robin, there was kind of like a uh, backlash. A backlash. <laughs> People hated that movie. It might be. I I want to say it's the only movie my dad ever made us walk out of. Really. And I was like really enjoying it. <laughs> but uh, that kind of like. Uh, I think a lot of adults were just like, I'm tired of this. This is like played out, uh, especially like just after the Burton ones, which are like almost high art compared to what Jules Schumacher did. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the resurgence came when Christopher Nolan uh, started directing these uh, in the mid 2000s. Uh, from 2005 to 2012, Batman was played by Christian Bale uh, in Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. I'd probably say objectively, this is probably most people's favorite version of Batman because it's the most mm-hmm. modern. Um, how do y'all feel about Christian Bale? I, I mean, I wouldn't say because it's the most like recent or modern. I'd say it, it seems to me to fit the tone of the series more than the the ones in the '90s. I don't know. I, I, it just seems like it's more true to the source material. But I, John, you might uh, be able to speak on that more because. I like him as Batman, but he's too aggressive as Batman in a way, mainly because of the voice, you know, like that voice thing came up. Yeah. But it was still cool at the time when it first came out. And him recently watching it, just him as Bruce Wayne, he's not really a good humorous Bruce Wayne. Right. Because he's like very subtle with his humor. And it's like, you're just a dick. <laughs> yeah. I like his Bruce Wayne a lot. I really? think his Batman is kind of vague. Like, I think his Bruce Wayne is, it's definitely not what I like about Michael Keaton it's definitely not what I like about Adam West it's like way to the grim serious side yeah um, but I think as Bruce Wayne is a really great uh, protagonist in like a modern drama I think as Batman's like it doesn't feel like the same person even uh, like when he talks to people he's like where are the other drugs where are you hiding the drugs he gets that like yeah. <laughs> that like gruff Batman voice he does is so off-putting to me it's like almost humorous yeah um and I feel like I'm almost watching two different movies and I think the movies are best when it's Bruce Wayne on the screen and not when it's Batman on the screen uh uh, when he talks like as Batman there's some parts watching it it was just like he was talking normal it was like a normal conversation with somebody and it was just using his Batman voice and it was like uh, yeah talk normal or something do like a slow voice that Michael Keaton did right which was like Michael Keaton nailed it sort of and him just bat, uh, Christian Bell just saying as speaking as Batman was like it's like talking to some weird animal right now <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the whole point of doing the gruff thing is he's trying to hide his voice yeah uh, so people don't totally. recognize him as Bruce Wayne I just there's just something about the way Christian Bale does that where it's like a little too far uh, getting so gruff that like it sounds like a joke to me like uh <laughs> Certain like death metal bands, the way they like do that <laughs> on the vocals, like that's yeah. the exact kind of like inflection I'm hearing in his voice. And I, and I think it is just particular to like the listener. Like yeah. you know, some people love those death metal vocals. I know some people that love his interpretation of that. Yeah. Voice, but no, I I, I mean I get what you're saying. I think for me it's like again it goes to the director. And the actors to get in the script, and for those three movies, I don't think any of the others, but well, besides the Keaton, yeah, one really come close to 
like getting it. The I'll, way that those I'll second that for sure. I think in terms of craft, uh, Nolan and, and Burton are probably like the top two people who've attacked this as like an auteur, you know. But um, it, as, as far as Batman goes, just talking about Christian Bale, like it's not necessarily my favorite, but I do like uh, what he brought to the screen as Bruce Wayne. I agree with you on that. Yeah, and I I think people maybe give it more credit than it's due because Bale just has a reputation as like a really good actor. So mm. you kind of project that onto him like this is a really good performance. It's also bringing like a serious like the serious tone from the comic books mm-hmm. into the movies like finally. Like, I mean Tim Burton almost did that, but he had the camp as well. Yeah. And then Christopher Nolan brought in like the seriousness. I think just overload with Maybe a little overload. Yeah. And that's kind of what the one that just came out, like that was my problem with it, is it went a little too into that direction. Well that's the thing. When these when these Nolan movies came out, it was refreshing to have this like serious superhero movie yeah. that's taking it as like a legitimate piece of art. But uh Kind of the same way that all these uh, found footage horror movies came out after the Blair Witch Project. Um, it's been tiring over time to see movies get so fucking serious about <laughs> right. about superhero stuff. Yeah. And if you look back at The Dark Knight, like the reason most people like that movie is because uh, Heath Ledger is so fun as the Joker. It's dark and it's messed up, but it's definitely a fun performance. Uh, and I think a lot of the superhero like grittiness that's come out since then has just not had that same sort of fun to it. Yeah, and that's I the mean, reason why like the Fantastic Four bombed last year. You know, the reason like the Suicide Squad this morning. I mean, the, the news about that adding more jokes. Yeah, they're rewriting the Suicide Squad after um, criticism against Batman vs Superman um, was that it was just too grim and like brooding of a movie mm-hmm. I mean, like maybe we should retool this a little bit that's life too I mean life like you have serious stuff in life and you have fun stuff in life and mm-hmm. everybody like there's a middle ground for all that stuff in like real life so they don't show that in movies like what the hell yeah, yeah. We've, we've hit a wall I just think yeah. there's just too much but I don't think that should reflect negatively on what Nolan did like I think his Batmans are great films. I mean, there's still comedy in those Nolan films. Like yeah, subtle hints. I mean, it's but like, then also weren't you weren't a fan of Deadpool? No, right? I hated Deadpool. <laughs> but that seems to be like kind of what you want a little bit, like for uh, the superhero movie to not take itself seriously, to poke fun at itself. Yeah, be self referential a little bit. That's not the kind of humor I liked, though. <laughs> it's not that I hated Deadpool because it was lighthearted. I just hated it because I didn't like the jokes yeah the jokes just reminded me of like family guy and stuff um it was just kind of a lazy sense of humor i get why people liked it and i hope that better movies come out of it they'll see that that hard r comedy with superheroes that gives me hope that something good might come out of deadpool doing so well but gotcha no i didn't enjoy watching it um side note did you watch side note (laughs) did you like kick-ass that was rated our comic book. Uh, I, 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 I like really like Kick-Ass. Mm. I like yeah. James Gunn's uh, Super. Came out the same year. Yeah. Uh, they're both very dark comedies. My favorite part of Kick-Ass was just Nicolas Cage, though. <laughs> like, uh... Okay, so if he played Batman? Because that's sort Nicolas of like Nicolas Cage would be the best Batman. I think he would be a perfect choice <laughs> Oh my god. Because <laughs> he can do the serious and the, the campy. There was a time when he almost played Superman. And yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah, a lot of people have seen production stills from that. Um, that is I, terrible miscasting. No, no, I Batman think, would be perfect. I think that would've been cool if he was Superman, sort of. Well, it's just been to fun see to the watch. train wreck, but he's. I think he's better suited. So he for could, Batman. 
He could have played Batman. Can we get Nicolas Cage to play Batman? <laughs> yes. Well, how do you think it would be as a Bruce Wayne and a Batman? Like, what would you think he would do? No matter what he did, I would be fascinated. Pretty much any, <laughs> yeah, anything I see him in, I'm on board. So. Even when the movies are so boring, uh, it just... Like, he just did this um, movie with uh, Hayden Christensen a couple of years ago uh, that was just, like, the worst like fantasy throwback movie but he plays like this one-eyed opiate addicted pirate in it and it's like okay i hated this movie but i liked nick cage in it um i think he has i think he has the right balance between grittiness and like dramatic chops to pull off a batman well, yeah, totally um so he could be a batman and bruce wayne yeah definitely i think uh the next person on the list uh Will Arnett, who's played Batman in the Lego movie uh, in 2014, and he's got his own Batman Lego movie coming up next year. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be good. <laughs> I think he's not that far off from what a Nick Cage would bring to the movie. Uh, Will Arnett's kind of going back and making fun of the Christian Bale stuff and kind yeah. of like uh, bringing back the sense of humor that's been missing um, since the Joel Schumacher movies. Uh, and I think that's awesome. I think a Nick Cage movie would not be that different from what uh, Will Arnett's been doing uh, with his voice work in the Lego movie. Uh, did y'all watch these, the the Lego movie? I watched the Lego movie. And, yeah. Uh, I barely remember it, but I liked them because it was just like making fun of everything. Like you said, it's just like, darkness, no Ooh. parents. <laughs> <laughs> he, was just, he was just taking it to the umph degree of like fun and just like self-parody basically. And then, like, I saw two trailers for the, his movie, and the first trailer that I saw, which was in the Batman v Superman, go watch it, it's out now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was totally hilarious, and then I saw the second one, the trailer, and it was still fun, too. It was just like, he's making, I don't know, I was telling James this earlier, him making, I mean, Alfred making fun of all the times his parents has died, self-parody <laughs> yeah. about every time every movie's been released. It was... I don't know, it was just so fun to, like, we know everything about Batman, and just seeing the self-parody of it is like, finally, we get it, we understand, like, just make fun of it. <laughs> Even right. if you haven't picked up a comic book in your entire life, Batman has been in the movies for 70-something years. It's in the American lexicon? Yeah, it's like, it's an American myth. It's Superman, <laughs> Batman, and Spider-Man. Right. All three, you know everything about that. I feel like most people know the X-Men by now as well. Sure. I don't know. Sure. Let's just keep on those on. Well, those, <laughs> those top three. Those right, are like right. Yeah. Everyone knows. You're right. Yeah, Spider-Man, they keep rebooting and showing his origin story. Uh, what is his uncle dies? That's yeah. not like a wrestling match or a boxing match or some shit. Uh, everywhere. Whatever. I'll get uh, but, bored. <laughs> but it makes sense for like doing it over and over sometimes because there will be kids. I was reading this one review saying like these kids will understand, like get their own version of Batman versus Superman. This is what they have now. So yeah. that'll be so Ben Affleck will be their Batman compared to these Batman that we grew up with. Mm -hmm. So right, and I think that's why we. I, I mean, I can't be objective about it, but that's probably why I hold Kevin Conroy and like uh, Michael Keaton up so high. Like I've rated them as my top two, but I can't separate myself from nostalgia. Like I don't know if they're actually legitimately the best. Yeah, <laughs> those, those are definitely the two I grew up with. You know, um, but I grew up with Val Kilmer as well, and he's the worst. I think I can put, like, what they are now, I think I can put them as who is my favorite if I analyze them, and I think I'll get to that point at the end. 
Okay, so we have two people playing Batman in 2016, right? You have Will Arnett, who's got this new Lego movie coming out. Yeah. Uh, you have Ben Affleck, who just starred in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, very long title. Um, <laughs> and they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. Like Ben totally. Affleck is all gritty Zack Snyder seriousness, and Will Arnett is all self-referential camp, where he's like making fun of the fact that we've seen this story over and over and over again. And then you see in Zack Snyder's movie, uh, I think it opens with his parents dying again on the camera. Uh, mm-hmm. The cheesiest shot I've probably seen all year so far is the, the pistol oh, pistol going backwards and breaking the pearl necklace. And they show that twice yes. as if yes. it's like a significant thing. That was like just like over... I, I cringed a little bit. What is this called? I was like, Ugh. It's just like over dramatic. It's not over dramatic. It's just like... Modelin. We just see it. We don't need to see it again. It's like something you would see in like a art house, like really high art kind it's of a film. Pretentious or something. Art house it's really thing. yeah, really pretentious. Like, come on, dude, this is a Batman. And he's movie. taking I that don't from need those the, kind of shots. He's taking it from the Dark Knight Returns, and I get it. Just like don't overuse it. Don't overuse everything that's going on. You don't have to like slowly kill someone and just like I, show everything. I mean, I will say. About the newest one is I actually did like Ben Affleck. I thought as, it was great. Yeah, as Batman, it, probably one of the few bright spots in the movie. Batman and Wonder Woman were both fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was I'm, everything I'm, else. I want to say that uh, Ben Affleck is my favorite Batman. Oh, uh, that holy shit, man! <laughs> I well, I was gonna if I'm gonna rank them, I would say he's probably in my top three or four. Why is he your very favorite? I don't know. It's just like. I guess from reading the comic books and seeing where he t- Zack Snyder took the influences from, I can see like he built himself up. I think Ben Affleck actually built himself up. And there's this little shot that he has in the movie where he's coming out with a suit and he looks like the hand-drawn Frank Miller Batman where they're all buff and stuff and the Joker looks buff as just as well. So they're like buff and it's just, like him coming down and looking at that shot and this is just, like the nerd aspect just seeing it in comic books and seeing mm-hmm. it on the film because I'm a fan of both. And then to see him coming down from the elevator and him getting off, it was just a simple shot, just him in a suit just coming off. And plus, he was like stoic. I mean, granted, it's also going to the writers for everything else in these movies. Like, there could have been more for Bruce Wayne. Oh, and we and the other stuff, like detective stuff. Well, that was a whole new story. <laughs> just, I liked him. He had like. He didn't have to do the voice like everybody else did, which because Christian Bell's voice like was so over the top or what yeah, he, whatever it was. He dialed it back a yeah. little bit. Well, also it was, was a voice cool. modulator, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's and like that, a... that was cool, and I liked him, and it was like, he was smart. He, he, I don't know, it was just everything about him. He had the best action scene in a Batman movie because he was fast he was movable that was like the best batman action scene i've seen in batman movies besides the cartoons <laughs> and the video games yeah that was awesome and just him being a man basically and seeing these two gods makes the fight between wonder woman and doomsday and all that i mean wonder woman doomsday and superman there's an the shot where he's like looking on and that's just a cool shot just like him seeing him being a man which is like us relating to him being a man amongst these gods which is another thing that was also mm-hmm. the writers didn't influence upon but it could have been better if they did but 
I don't know. I just liked him. He was awesome. He so was like what do you think of the fact that apparently he's writing his own Batman script? Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. If he doesn't, fine. Because he's like, like you said for Matthew McConaughey, he was having a resurgence. Ben Affleck's is doing the same thing. And I would totally be on board with that. Ben Affleck's I would being, definitely be on yeah, board. Because I know he's a good writer. Like I've actually never seen a movie he's directed, I don't think. Cargo? I've never seen it. You saw Good Will Hunting. Oh uh, yeah, that's he, true. Him and Matt Damon that's wrote true. that. I don't See, know if he directed. That was a while ago. See, if him and Matt Damon wrote Batman, that'd probably be fun. Was, that would I be fun. Would be really cool. I, I agree with you honestly. Just seeing him in the suit and seeing him in his Batman suit too, it just looks right. His voice sounds good. Like I yeah, think he brings almost the same kind of like weird quirkiness to the Bruce Wayne character as Michael Keaton does too. Where like when he's in these social situations, he just seems like an oddball in the room. Yeah. Uh, and I like that a lot about. I him. do wish he had some better lines. Yeah, to work. That's not his like, fault. I know, though. and it's not yeah. his fault. So if we're just judging based if, on the acting, he's up there. Yeah. for me. If he had more lines along the side, along the scene of him talking to Superman, I mean Clark Kent at uh, Lex Luthor's mm-hmm, party, mm-hmm. where he says like maybe it's the Gotham in me. That line. If they had more of that stuff, where he's sarcastic and just like fun. It would have went a long way. Yeah, it yeah. would have been a lot more. And everyone, I think everyone agrees that this Ben Affleck, he was given with what he had. Everyone likes him, and more power to him. I, I love Ben Affleck as Batman. Yeah, he's like I, number one. I'll say uh, while I was watching the movie, I, I mean, I did not enjoy this movie at all. I'm pretty sure <laughs> no one did. <laughs> uh, when I was watching it, his dream sequences. Um, I believe there are three. There's the beginning one where he falls in the cave as a kid and okay. floats to the heavens or whatever. He looks like a bat, if anybody knows that. He yeah. looks like a bat as he's rising. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dark Knight rises. And then in the second dream sequence, a bat comes out of his that mother's grave. Yeah. Uh, and it's like a human, it's like a humanoid mutant bat. Yeah. And in the third dream sequence, he's in this kind of like Mad Max version mm-hmm. of like a dystopian future where he's wearing this like leather uh, trench coat. Um, and then some kind of weird alternate universe of the Flash comes out and like yells at him for a minute. Oh, that's the dream within a dream, which is stupid. No, I'm okay. I'm just saying those three dream sequences. Every time they come up, I was like, I wish I was watching that movie instead of but, what I'm watching now. But don't you feel like, like all those three well, that things sense. were like glimpses yeah. into like these more interesting aspects? But didn't that kind of convolute everything though? You have multiple like subplots going on. You have dreams within dreams. It's like they're trying to make it too complex when it doesn't have to be that hard. Well, again, that's a problem on the script level. Uh, You were explaining this earlier to me, just uh, how um, this movie just keeps piling more and more ideas on. It's like, and then this happens. And then that, and then this. And And it's a very overwhelming film uh, where nothing ever gets addressed on any kind of like direct level. It just gets piled on. And there's like all these unresolved kind of like thought loops. What well, is just like setting its ducks in a row for that final battle, pretty much. Right. That's like the entire two hours before it is just kind of building up to that, which is awesome, by the way. That yeah, that that battle scene at the end is badass. But since everything else is cranked up to ten, it's like hard to know when to get excited in this movie. True. But, <laughs> but Ben Affleck, I say. Can I ask you, as a comic book fan, um, how do you feel about A, the mech suit that he wears, and B, the fact that he kills people and brands them so that they get executed in prison? Two, th- <clears throat> two things about the <laughs> killing 
okay. And there's an exercise thing about because you mentioned the killing in the original ones. There was also in every like Batman movie, there was a Beauty and the Beast reference. If y'all noticed that. No, I'm yeah. not familiar with that. I can't remember either. every scene. I mean, whatever scene it was, but there was a Beauty and Beast reference in the Batman, Batman Returns, and Batman Forever, and maybe Batman and Robin. But the killing thing, he has done that since the original Batman, since Tim Burton. Huh. He's done that like. Um, in Batman Returns, recent one that I can remember is that he throws some dude, some uh, some gang member down a sewer hole or sewer hole with a grenade and he blows up. So it's unintentionally killing. But I remember someone saying that it's just like if someone is involved with it, they're just going to die, but not by his own hands. It's just because they were doing something wrong and he just happens to like, screw it, you're going to die. <laughs> I, I threw this bomb back at you because you threw it at me. And they die. Right. And they've been doing that since Batman. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Batman, he killed the Joker. Right. Batman Returns, he did all those gang members. And Batman Forever, he did the same thing, I think. I can't remember all the killings. So he has a very loose moral... I mean, I think that I'm killing the, people, but in not the movies, really. In the movies, I feel like. I mean, he's killed one person... In the comic books, and maybe a few more, but there's one person in the comic books that he's killed. Definitely uh, in the Kevin Conroy version of the animated series, that's like his whole thing, is that he like, that's what separates me from the villains. I don't kill people. I apprehend them. Uh, and in the Mask of the Phantasm, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, there's another vigilante that uh, is going around killing criminals and framing Batman for it. And that's the whole, uh, you know... Um, philosophical crisis of the film he's like uh, you're crossing a line we just apprehend criminals we don't murder them because we're not yeah. judge jury and executioner uh, and I feel like there is a different intensity to the Zack Snyder version of Batman where the film opens uh, with them addressing the fact that Superman had a bunch of um, sort of accidental victims uh, from Man of Steel and uh, so the fact that Batman's intentionally branding people so they will be executed in prison is kind of cruel in like a way that I don't think we've seen in any of these mm-hmm. other movies. There's a funny thing about the branding. I mean, they've never done it. I don't think Batman's ever done it until, I think, Dark Knight Returns in the comic books. But the funniest thing is they have this character from Marvel called Moon Knight, mm-hmm. which is a crazy person just the same as Batman because Batman is crazy. But Moon Knight is a three-person personality, four if you count the mask it up and he brands people okay so it's weird like seeing that like Batman's branding and then this Marvel character's branding people because he's crazy he's absolutely crazy and then Batman's doing it I don't know this is a weird thing I notice and it's weird seeing Batman do all these things I think from the comic book standpoint of where the comic book people know that Batman doesn't kill and he's killing in the movies but the movies and comic books are different and he's all this is like a little thing that's just always been consistent he's killed 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 in probably every movie you know I'm watching the Dark Knight trilogy I mean the Batman Begins Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises he's killed in those and in Batman v Superman he's killed as well and I don't know He's a killer. Do you think it's a do you think it's a problem of maybe um, 
Writers, yes. <laughs> I was about to say, on the writing level, where they're just trying to bring in too many different um, storylines from past comic books that like bring them all into like one assimilated product is just kind of distracting and like overwhelming. That was the thing with this Batman v Superman. They, right. They made two store. I mean, two stories from two comic books that were really big: Dark Knight Returns and Death of Superman. And they combined the two, man. You can see the references in every single scene, sort of, and it's also in the books. And you can see it, and it's like it's a mess of a film, is what I keep saying. <laughs> and that's like what I put to that film. It's like a mess. But there are some good elements. Yeah, that's totally how we felt as well, I think. Um, we watched it with maybe, what, five of us the other day? Mm-hmm. And we're all like, we did not like that, but there were things we did like, and it was mostly just like a mess. It could have been good. It, everything could have been good. I mean, Ben Affleck was awesome. I mean, the, the worst thing I can say about it is at points I was like, pretty bored yeah falling you know exactly. close to falling asleep which you should never do in a in a batman movie and they start or showing his parents or being, in a movie period but especially an action superhero movie like they that. start on, showing shoot. his parents being murdered it's like right. this is where the film's starting off which is like almost like a fuck you to the audience like i've seen this so many times right uh i don't know so just kind of like summing up john's favorite batman ben affleck right Yes, yes. Or, he was good. Is it we doing Ben Affleck and Bruce Wayne? Yeah. Okay. Ben Affleck for Batman, Michael Keaton for Bruce Wayne. James? I like, my top three is, uh, it's a tie between Christian Bale and Michael Keaton, and then I do like Ben Affleck as well. Number one or number two? Well, it would be number three. Number one <laughs> and two are tied. I can't decide between Bale and Michael Keaton and I guess my top ones, I loved Michael Keaton. Um, I think he did a great like all-around job of the character on both sides of the mask. And yeah. I also thought Kevin Conroy was a very close second. Um, just because he's put in so much time with the character, feels very lived so in. So what about, go back around, what about least favorite? Val Kilmer. George Clooney. George Clooney. Damn. <laughs> can, can I also say What this? about George Clooney's bat nipples? You don't like that? <laughs> I like his bat butt. <laughs> his bat butt. Yeah, there's kind of this like weird S and M. There's uh, some homoerotic stuff going on, and that makes me like it even more. Though. I mean, the, the cod pieces uh, and the nipples. That, and that, I think they're playing humor to the um, where they do where like the, I don't know the McCarthy era. If it's not the era, <laughs> some era where they were blaming comic books for being bad for kids. Right. It like, it's funny if he like did alluded to that with all that stuff yeah it's kind of weird that the movies are the Joel Schumacher movies are for children there's like no way to deny that but there is this kind of weird sexual uh, um, urges in the uh, suiting up sequences that are like undeniable yeah and I was just reading on Wikipedia before this that he is like an openly gay director too so he might you know might have tried to slip in a little bit of that homoeroticism into there with the nipples and cod pieces. I don't know. I don't want to. Can y'all at least admit that by the time he like he, the Batman Forever was a little stilted, but by the time he gave away to Batman and Robin, it has more of a clear vision. Like whether or not you like what the movie does, it's at least more like uh, yeah. Vivid. It's not as muddled as 
Batman Forever, but I don't like his vision. Is basically <laughs> what it is. Like I, I don't like it going in that direction. Right. But that's just personal taste. Can I say this? Like the Batman fights from the beginning, I get that it's like technical and all that, whatever. And it got he fights slow and this is why I like Ben Affleck's scene so much is because he fights so quick and it's like something like you see in a comic book it's just like fight 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 and this, they were trying to do that I, they did that a little bit with action scenes in Batman and Robin which is cool but they all progressed from like slow fast then slow with mm-hmm. the Christian Bell era and then fast with Ben Affleck because I was watching Dark Knight Rises early and he's just like Shh, sh- Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> Always moving slow. Like, if you watch the movie, he moves slow and you, like, see the punch coming. Right. And I don't know. That's why I like Ben Affleck, too, is because everything was so quick and fast. Well, as far as the quick and fast, that the Adam West, like, those action scenes are ridiculous, but they're pretty fast facing with the bam and pow. And yeah. I don't know. It does, like, stand out and it feels more alive than some of the later action scenes that like you said are pretty plotting and slow Mm. so uh john while you're here are there any uh art projects you have out there you want to promote oh uh if you want to follow my instagram it's john marquez puppet i do commissions if you want to buy stuff that'd be cool that would help me a lot awesome and uh i'm a writer i'm writing something (laughs) (laughs) look out for john marquez writing something um (laughs) And I guess because we were talking about Devils earlier, I'd urge you to go back and look at our movie of the month uh, piece on Crimes of Passion we did about a year ago. Uh, if you go under our features on Swamp Flicks, uh, under movie of the month, uh, Ken Russell's 80s piece with Kathleen Turner is a uh, fashion designer by day, prostitute by night. Um, it's a great sex thriller, psychedelic uh, just mess of a film. Pretty much just watch everything that Ken Russell has done. All Ken Russell, <laughs> Ken Russell is a madman, and just poorly Love represented. His name should be as much of a household name as David Lynch or right. Igmar Bergman or anybody I else agree. you think of. Psychedelic sex thriller it sounds awesome. It's so good, uh, and it also stars um, who's the guy from Psycho. Oh man, can't remember his name. Norman Psych- Bates. N- yeah, Norman Bates from Psycho <laughs> as a sex crazed priest. Uh, Anthony Perkins. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah, that is a great performance too. Yeah. But anyway, The Devils is a whole another kind of messed up. So. And we'll come back to you with uh, episode five as soon as time and schedules allow. Y'all have a good one. Bye. Thank you for having me. Always.